Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. We are uh, thrilled that you are here to connect with Jesus Christ. And if you're watching with us online, thank you guys. A number of you have contacted me over the last few weeks to say you're still uh, worshiping with us. And we're glad that you're with us this morning as well. Um, got a couple of announcements for you uh, before we uh, launch into uh, deeper worship of Jesus Christ. The first one is that we will have baptisms next week on Sunday the 25th, and if you're interested in that, please contact the uh, church office uh, early in the week so that we can get with you and talk to you about that. Uh, we also have the Wild Game Dinner coming up on May 1st, Saturday, May 1st, and that's for our men's ministry. So men, we would love for you to go online and register for that event. Uh, it's always a great annual event uh, with a great challenge from scripture and just great uh, exotic food. And then uh, and you can sign up to bring that or you can bring dessert or you can bring both. That's when you really get five stars. <laughs> And then on May 2nd is our annual report and a, a celebration as a church family as we kind of bring all the next steps uh, stuff together and in focus. And then we stay afterward for uh, an all church dinner together as a church family. So we're looking forward to that very much. Um, and then we have a church family announcement. Uh, we have another engagement that you may or may not have heard about. It started to ripple out. But uh, Katie Nevue, Katie, would you stand please? Katie, Nevue, and Hunter. Hunter and Walker got engaged uh, almost a month ago, I guess, uh, and they are looking at a March 19th wedding next year. And uh, the reason they put it so far out is so that we would all have time to save up for gifts. So, <laughs> right, Katie? We're excited for you, Katie. So I'm going to start with prayer, and then we're, going to, we're all going to stand and read Scripture together and then launch into the wonderful worship that Chris and the worship team put together for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. And we thank you for Katie and Hunter, and we ask your rich blessing upon them as they grow and as they seek to serve you in their oneness. And we pray that you would allow them to prepare well for that and pray that you would protect their relationship in the coming year. And we look forward to what you're going to do in their marriage. And we look forward to what you're going to do in our hearts this morning as we connect with you, Jesus. We thank you that we can gather in your presence. And we pray that you give us a passion to serve you in Christ's name. Amen. 
I'm going to invite you to stand with us. And uh, I had the privilege of seeing Newsies last night. How many people have seen that? Yeah, tons of people. That's awesome. And we've got at least six uh, that I counted of our teens that are in that with the National Youth Theater. It was down in Tomball. And uh, so many great things about it. Really well, well done. I think it's the largest cast I've ever seen with all the productions they've done over the years. Uh, but what really, really struck me about this musical was their passion just across the board, every one of them. And I was just thinking, man, Lord, wouldn't it be awesome if we were that passionate in our worship of you on Sunday morning? So I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to let the psalmist challenge us as we uh, read together Psalm 150, verses 1 and 2. Let's read. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name.
thank you for that cross. We thank you for the life that you gave for us. Would you teach us now? Would you draw us near to you through the truth of your word and make us like Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can be seated. If you're one of our kids, um, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Good morning, everyone. So this past week on Monday, there was a anniversary that in our country we didn't really pay any attention to, but it was the 60th anniversary of the first human being to get into space. Of course, the reason we don't celebrate it is because the Soviets beat us. Yuri Garrigan went up into space April 12th, 1961. And what's interesting, what I think about his story is that for many of you, maybe when you, when you think about him, you not only, you know, if, you're, if you were around at that time, maybe you still got some issues with the fact that, that they made it there first. Although I think we, we won every other hurdle after that. Um, was the, the quote that is attributed to him when he came back, that he said he went up to space and didn't see God. And so for a lot of us Christians, that was like insult to injury. Um, interesting, though, if you look into his story, you find out that actually he, he was a believer and that that line was not his. Um, that apparently it was Premier Khrushchev who, uh, during a propaganda meeting, decided to uh, come up with, uh, you know, to take advantage of the fact that they had this national hero and put some words in his mouth. And he got up and jokingly said, now, now take, you know, Yuri, he didn't have to put the brakes on when he got up into space. He, he didn't see God. He looked around. Uh, so they even made propaganda posters like this one, which, you know, my Russian's a little rusty, but I believe it says no God. Uh, so they, they really latched hold of, of this idea that they sent the first human being up into space to look around and God wasn't there. Now, since then, after the fall of the Soviet Union, um, you know, many believers in the land were able to speak up a little bit more. And those that were his friends started to stand up for him and say, no, he didn't say that. In fact, he was known for saying an astronaut cannot suspend in space without God being in his mind and in his heart. You know, it, what, what strikes me is as kind of... You know, one, it makes me a little upset for Yuri, right? You know, would you want to have your entire reputation tarnished uh, for all eternity that everyone thinks, you know, equates you with this, with this famous uh, atheistic uh, phrase? Um, but on the other hand, I get the idea that if you already don't think God exists and you, you know little fragments of scripture, you begin to kind of make fun of it. And you, you begin to say, hey, these Christians, they think Jesus floated up into space and he's still hanging out up there. Uh, I think there's a misunderstanding of, of the character identity of God, but also when it comes to the ascension itself, this doctrine, this Christian doctrine and belief that we have in scripture about Jesus and the kind of the end of his earthly ministry. And so as we've, uh, you know, are a couple weeks after Easter and the resurrection, I wanted to look at the story of the ascension. We don't often focus on it. I think Christmas and Easter get a lot of play, uh, but there is an ascension day. It's, it's usually 39, 40 days after Easter. Uh, and, and, but we don't, we don't generally, you know, it's, it's, it's just got a few verses in the book of Acts, uh, but it has such a 
critical role to how we interact with Jesus, uh, our, our daily walk, and a lot of things that maybe we take for granted. And so I wanted to take us to that story, to that account, and uh, that's primarily in Acts 1, uh, 1 through 11, so we're going to be there. And I wanted to read all the way through it, and then we're going to go back and focus on, on uh, uh, what really matters about the ascension. We're going to look at ascension matters, because uh, I, I do think it matters, um, and, and it, it does inform so much of our faith and our understanding of our relationship with Jesus. So open up with me if you haven't gotten there yet to Acts 1. And as I said, I want to read all the way through this, through verse 11, even though the first, you know, five verses or so are just really giving context, because I want, it's kind of a, a catch-up. Uh, Luke is writing his second part. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote this book of Acts. And so he is catching everyone up in the sequel. And it's, you know, kind of like when there's been a break in seasons, and they kind of catch everyone up. This is previously in the life of Jesus. And so in, in verse 1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach <clears throat> until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when the, he had said these things, as they went, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I want to go back and, and really consider three reasons that the ascension matters. And the first one is the ascension matters because it marks the end of Jesus's earthly ministry and the beginning of his delegated authority given to us. And I want to, I want to jump back into the middle of that in verse 8, because uh, this is where we really see this highlighted idea of, of Jesus is saying, you know, he's been preparing his disciples and preparing his disciples, not only for his death and his burial and his resurrection, but the fact that he would, even though he was raised to life, would not be staying with them, that he would be going and it, he was now going to charge them to continue to do his ministry here on earth. And verse 8 is really that summation um, of, of this delegated authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. Now, a few weeks ago, Dave spent an entire message dividing up this verse. Uh, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in this verse other than to point out this idea of being witnesses, this idea that Jesus delegated now, if, if we understand that Luke is essentially summarizing Jesus' words and uh, his great commission words, we, we are reminded of all the different elements of this. When, when, we, when we go back to Matthew and you see the great commission, you see he speaks of authority. Uh, 
He says that I've been given all authority to now give you authority to send you out. Jesus has the authority to then delegate further. And he gives us a delegation of being his witnesses. Understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. What is a witness? Well, a witness is, is someone that stands up and reports what they've seen, what they've experienced. We've not been given the delegation of changing hearts. We've not been given the delegation of, of causing life change. We've not been given the delegation of anything that God does inside a human being. We are just simply his witnesses, his people that will go out and make disciples, spread the word, teach all that he has commanded us to do. We're to be his body, right? All these different pictures and images that pop up when we think of witnesses as it's described throughout scripture. I want to take us in particular to what I think is a passage that really does focus on delegated authority. And that's one that we skipped last week. When we were in John chapter 20, I skipped a few verses. Uh, so I want to just go right back to John chapter 20. And luckily, it's, it's probably just a page back from where you are now, the very end of John. <clears throat> We're going to look at John 20, uh, 21 through 23. Last week, we considered Jesus's first interaction with the disciples after he had resurrected. And, and in particularly, we focused on Thomas's doubt. But there was a few verses here that I wanted to skip because, one, they're difficult verses. And I didn't have as much time last week to, to really focus and understand what is going on. Um, but, but they are difficult verses. They're verses that many people, if you were to put 10 different scholars in a room and, and give them these verses, you'd probably get 10 different ex explanations. Uh, so even before we get into it, I want to I wanna really help us with an understanding of how to interact with areas of Scripture where we read them and say, now what in the world is going on here? Now, one, there's not as many as you might think. There's a few where we get to it and think, you know what? There's, there's something going on here that John understood, the disciples understood in that first century. They, they were, they, there was something cultural maybe behind it. Um, and, and we've maybe lost a little bit of it. And so there are ways that we go into scripture when we encounter that. The first one is we want to really be careful to not let our pride lead us to walk in and say, I know exactly what's going on. And in fact, I'm going to build an entire branch of Christianity on it. And that happens. There's a few we could go into where, where you know, there's been one verse and, and you know, it's kind of like, what, what's going on here? And you say, well, I think it's this. And therefore I have to, I have to construct all this stuff around it that has to do with it. So we want to, we want to be careful to know that uh, there's other more clear scriptures about this exact meeting. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have some description of this first resurrection meeting with the disciples. Mark's pretty short. Matthew kind of jumps straight into the Great Commission. Luke has a very extensive uh, description of what happened when he presents himself to the disciples and he, eats, he even eats a meal with them. And, and Luke seems to be focusing specifically on Jesus proving that he is Jesus. He's showing his wounds, he's eating food, he's, he's explaining why he had to die. And John, though, seems to be more concerned with the delegated authority that Jesus is passing on. And so I think when we, when we go to a, a passage that has some odd things, one, we need to say, okay, is there a more clear explanation? Is there a more clear passage somewhere else that can help us with this? And two, we need to go with, with a little humility. And I, I want to try to do both of those right now. Let me read verse 21. 22 uh, of chapter 20. Uh, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So maybe this is a verse you've read in the past and you've had some question marks about it. Because what's up with Jesus breathing on people? And in our COVID sensibility age, right, we're even more so kind of, go to, what is Jesus doing? He's breathing on them. He's not supposed to do that. You know, you get arrested in Walmart for doing that. <laughs> well, we can, we can kind of start there, but I also want to look at, at this, the verse right before it when he says, I am sending you out. Here's, here's what I'm saying that, that I feel this is, is going on here. Jesus is speaking prophetically over the disciples. And, and, I, and I do not believe they are actually receiving the Holy Spirit at this time just because he's also not actually sending them out. He says, I'm sending you out. But in Acts, we're told he tells them to stay put, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit does come upon him, is it a an unnoticeable thing, you know, yeah, it was a pretty big occasion, you know, flames of fire land on them, they're speaking other languages, Peter suddenly, this, this uneducated fisherman gives this, this long sermon, thousands of people come to Christ, it was a big deal when the Holy Spirit came upon us, and Luke doesn't even mention that Jesus says it, so I, I, I use the more clear to say, okay, something else is going on here, and I do believe Jesus is speaking prophetically into their life to say, I'm sending you out. I am delegating authority to you, but you're not going alone. You will receive new life. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And what you do on earth has consequences in heaven. Talk about authority. We're told to be witnesses, and we'd sometimes take that lightly to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to answer a question here. Uh, but understand that when Jesus says you get to go out and say, the gospel to someone else to say that Jesus loves them to explain what Jesus has done for them. That has eternal consequences. What we do here on earth matters in heaven because Jesus delegated the authority to us. His earthly ministry ended and he handed it off to us and said, now you do what I've been doing, bringing heaven to earth. You go out, be by witnesses. Now, this breathe thing, this, this is actually a word uh, in Greek that, that is emphasize. Oh, now it, it may sound like emphysema to you. It's similar, right? Um, and, and, and I didn't know it before I looked it up, so don't worry. You all can look these words up too. Uh, but what's really interesting about this word when it says breathe is it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. In fact, the only place this is used is in the Old Testament. Now, some of you are going, okay, you don't know what you're talking about. The Old Testament is made in, written in Hebrew. It is, but there's a thing called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. It was done a couple hundred years before Jesus. And in it, you can kind of see where they said, this is a Greek word that lines up with this Hebrew word. Well, the word that they use when God breathed life into Adam, it's the same word, that Jesus uses when he breathes over the disciples. What is John trying to communicate? John loves to link Jesus with the creation account. Think about how he begins the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. What is that meant to make you think of? Now you might call me crazy and I didn't read anybody else that, that agrees with me, but that's where I feel like John is really trying to communicate something and he's, he's taken almost an Old Testament prophetic uh, style here of, of really grabbing hold of Jesus. Because when you, when you read the Old Testament prophets, they often were using these odd, in the present, you know, acts to communicate that God was going to do something. 
you know, breaking things, wearing old underwear, walking around town, eating things. I mean, Old Testament prophets were called to do crazy things that everyone around them is going, what are you doing? And it was something in the present that was meant to say, this is going to happen. God is going to do this. Jesus is breathing new life. New creation is coming because the Holy Spirit is going to come. They will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And we live in that moment. The Holy Spirit has come upon us already. And once you receive new life in Jesus, once you put your faith in him, he breathes new life into you. And you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And now you have the power to be his witnesses, to take on that delegated authority. So when he says, if you forgive the sins of any, literally it's those that have already been forgiven. You are now given this eternal delegated authority to know that when you do something as simple as love other people and share that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he has come back to love you. When you say the gospel message to someone in as simplest of terms as you can, you are impacting eternity. You're impacting heaven. That's a, that's a tremendous authority that Jesus has delegated on us. And so he is doing that just before he ascends. That's his last, last reminder to the disciples. And Luke you know, summarizes it for us here just before he gives the account of Jesus ascending. So this ascension matters because it's the end of his earthly ministry in the beginning of our delegated authority here on earth. But the second reason the ascension matters is it tells us what Jesus is doing right now. If you've ever wondered that, okay, Jesus went up, now what? Well, again, let's, let's go back to this uh, Acts, going, going back to the Acts account. In verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Again, a very interesting description of the ascension. And, I, and, and you know, so the Soviets read this and kind of made fun of it, almost like the disciples are watching a balloon float up. You ever done that with a group of people and you play the game, who can see the balloon the longest? And I always feel like the one that can is probably being dishonest because somehow... There's always somebody that can see it for like a half an hour longer than everybody else. Oh, I still see it. I still see it. No, Jesus didn't just continue to float up, didn't just go up into space. And so Yuri was not going to find God. In fact, C.S. Lewis had a great retort back to the Soviets when he said, believing that an astronaut can go up into space and find God is like Hamlet walking up into his an attic to find Shakespeare. It just, it's, a, it's, a, it's not going to work. Jesus was not physically just taken up into our, another part of our physical realm. He was brought back to the throne room of God's glory. And the word that really sticks out to me in this Acts account is this word cloud. The Greek word for this is nephile, and it does just mean cloud. So throughout scripture, when you read about a cloud, oh, there's a cloud over here, it's, uh, rain is coming. Yeah, it's that word, but it's also used all the time to describe God's physical glory here on earth. And again, we go back to the Septuagint account, the Old Testament, Greek translation, same word used for that cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Same word that was used when God's glory enveloped the temple. Same word in the New Testament that was used on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you remember, they were standing there and then, and then this cloud drops around them and 
Jesus is transfigured in their sight. And here we see in simple terms that Jesus goes up and a cloud covers the disciples' sight. Now we know that Jesus goes and is returning back to the glory of God. And I, I feel like this is Luke's way of describing God's glory surrounding him and taking him. And, and the disciples continue to gaze and look. And I, I just can't help but think what's going through their mind. The person that you've just spent the last three years with progressively understanding that this is God himself, God incarnate, that this is the Messiah that I've been waiting for, that my people have been waiting for since Adam and Eve. I got to spend time with this person. He chose me to be his disciple. And then he died horribly. And we were scattered. And then he came back to us. And we got to spend 40 days with him. And now he's floating away. I like how Brian Reagan does describe a child watching his favorite balloon float away. And, and adults are always like, what's the big deal? It's just a balloon. And the kid's like, that's like my balloon, you know. He, and he would say, what if it's your wallet floating away? Would you get more concerned? <laughs> oh, my wallet's floating away. And the kid's like, what's the big deal? It's just a wallet, you know. These disciples were watching their beloved Lord and Savior go away from them. And even though he had prepared them for this time, I think his words are starting to, to kind of reverberate. One, I think, is, is I go to prepare a place for you. John 16, I believe. John 14, yeah. One and two. He, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. So what is Jesus doing right now? The reason the ascension matters is because he has gone to prepare a place for us. So as the disciples are watching him go and, and be enveloped in God's glory, they're reminded, wait, Jesus said he was going. Jesus said he wouldn't be staying. That he, in fact, gave us this great commission because he said, now you will be my Witnesses, you will make disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus didn't abandon them. He, he wasn't floating away from them and, and saying, well, good luck with that. He was going to prepare a place for them. We also know from scripture that his physical location matters right now. It says that he is at the right hand of the father. The right hand. That's, a, that's an important phrase. The right hand of the Father communicates two things. Power and proximity. Power and proximity. Jesus himself had something to say to Caiaphas when Caiaphas charged him in the, in the trial and said, Are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? He said this in, in, in Matthew 26. You say it is so, but from now on, I tell you, you will see the Son of Man seated in the right hand of power. Where is Jesus right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That was a phrase that, was used, that is used throughout Scripture. The early church really took hold of this phrase because it communicates the power that Jesus had. He didn't abandon us or, or, or leave us to our own devices. He went somewhere where he had greater authority, greater power. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to Jesus being at the right hand of God, the Father. Paul does five times, five of his letters. Peter does. The writer of Hebrews writes it all over the place. This was an important concept for the early church. They really, uh, 
their hearts may have been troubled with the concept of how are we going to be witnesses all over the place? How is this going to happen? But then they remember, where is Jesus now? He's in a place of power. He, he wasn't, you know, he didn't go somewhere to hide. He isn't far away from us physically that, that he cannot impact the continued work. He's in a place of power and authority. He's also in proximity to the Father, which means he continues to advocate for us. Paul says this in Romans 8, 34. Read this with me up on the screen. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is one of the most, I think, encouraging chapters in Scripture is Romans chapter 8, and this is one of the most encouraging parts of that chapter. Jesus did not float away from us. He went somewhere where he could be in power and proximity for us. I, I used to ask students that I would disciple, what would you rather have, Jesus physically with you to follow around or the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Inevitably, they would say, I'd love it if Jesus was here. Just think about all the things he'd keep me from doing, all the struggles that I mess up with. And then I say, well, Jesus disagrees with you. And then they feel bad. It's a trick, <laughs> trick question. Jesus himself said, it's to your benefit that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. Jesus can walk around with Dave, but the rest of us are stuck, right? The Holy Spirit gets to be with each and every one of us. They received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them because Jesus was moved to a place of power and authority and proximity to the Father. The last thing I want to point out is that the ascension matters because just as he went, he is coming again. Go back to this Acts account. Verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men, we take this to be two angels, stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Matthew 24, 30. Jesus said this. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When I was young, my parents went on this extended trip, and I, I don't know, I think it was like almost a month. It was like their 25th anniversary. I can say it now because I feel like I've been absolved of all guilt. Um, and, uh, and so uh, it's, been, it's been long enough, right? And um, it's like it was statute of limitations, I think, when it, when it comes to parent-kid stuff. And, and so I was, I was in high school. Uh, my brother was, was home from college, and uh, the youngest of, of my brothers. And so we had the house to ourselves for uh, three or four weeks. Uh, we knew when my parents were coming back, and they had given us this list of rules that we were supposed to do to keep the house up. So anyone want to guess uh, our strategy on that? <laughs> so at any given moment, I would come home from uh, football practice. It was the first part of the summer. My coach found this loophole so we could do practice all summer. And, uh, and so I would come home from early morning practices. 
Um, and there would, there would still be people there from the night before. You know, it was just this ongoing party, not, not a debauchery party. It was a Christian version of parties. We had a, we had a pool and we just have a lot of fun. Um, we have tons of, of citrus trees, which uh, my dad does still love, even though they're not there anymore. That it, it was his, his heart and soul. Well, at that time, the fruit's just dropping. So naturally we would hit him with bats. And, and so it was just part of it. And there was one point when, when uh, it kind of hit a crescendo. We had 40 or 50 friends over, and we're playing this game of, of, you know, orange baseball, grapefruit baseball, lemon, whatever tree you're under. And we, that went on for hours. And then it turned into, of course, as is apt to happen, a fight with said fruit. And so we're thrown at each other, you know, getting acid in our eyes, a lot of fun. And, and so we covered this acre property. I swear there was not a square foot that didn't have, you know, rotten fruit on it, including the roof and, you know, different things. Um, and then it dawned on us that my parents will actually come back. <laughs> and isn't it interesting that all these friends that loved having this place where we could watch movies late at night and swim all we wanted suddenly weren't around when it was time to clean up. And so we're running around cleaning up. I want to end on this. Look at what the disciples asked. <laughs> Verse 7 of Acts, actually verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to return and, you know, fix everything? <laughs> at, this, at this time, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. Jesus said, when I return, I will come in power glory. His, his first time he was born in a lowly stable, only a few people knew. The next time he comes, everybody's going to know. It's not going to be a surprise. It's going to be in glory. It's going to be the sky rolling up as a, as a sheet. Jesus is coming back. We're not given the time. We're given a commission. We're given a delegated authority that we are to go out with the power of the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses, be obedient, knowing Jesus is pulling up in the driveway any minute. What's my yard looking like? So the ascension matters because Jesus really was here. He really did go and he really is coming back. The only question is that how often I live as if that is not true. And so Luke paints a picture for us here in this book of Acts, just before the Holy Spirit does come in power, just before the church takes off like a flame. And 2000 years later, we are still riding this wave and still witnessing the power of a changed life. When the Holy Spirit comes in contact, when Jesus breathes new life. And yet there are times when I, I sit back and go, Jesus, are you really coming back? Are you, are you really going to make all this right again? And the Holy Spirit continues to communicate, trust me, I'm coming. And when I come, the whole world will know. It will be in glory. It will be in power. Continue to be faithful. Continue to be my witnesses. Continue to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. Continue to see me work around you. Let me pray. Dear God, we lift you up this morning. We thank you. And we look for the day that you come back as, 
as John ends his book of Revelation to say, come, Lord, come, we cry that out to you. Let us live in faith and spirit with the knowledge that we are your servants and our master has gone away to prepare a place for us only to return, to reap a harvest. So it's exciting that we get to be a part of that. And so I thank you that you've given us a part to play. Help us to walk in that trust and in that faith each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you are trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life today. You guys have a great week.